This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bobby Kravitsky, at BobbyK underscore 91, also on Twitter. You can follow the show at, at Patriots Beat, and of course, CLNS Radio at CLNS Radio. Of course, follow along on Facebook if you'd like, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. What a victory by the New England Patriots over another division leader in the Indianapolis Colts. A 42-20 drubbing of Andrew Luck and company on Sunday evening. Just another game where the New England Patriots absolutely dominated their competition. That's now six games in a row. The Patriots sit alone on top of the AFC at 8-2. and two. And one of my favorite stats is they have beaten the leader of every other division by 20-plus points. Cincinnati, of course, started the win streak. Then two weeks ago against the Broncos, a drubbing. And then last week against the Indianapolis Colts. The Patriots are flying high and looking good right now. Barring any injuries, they look to be the heads-on favorite to move forward in the AFC, but there's a lot of football left to play. And, of course, they got the Detroit Lions. No slouch of their own. Detroit 7-3 and three coming into this game. That'll be Sunday afternoon at Foxborough Stadium. Detroit coming off a loss against the Arizona Cardinals, who are 9-1. and one. I'm going to bring in my co-host, Bobby, to see how he's doing. Bobby, how you doing today? I'm doing good. The weather's starting to get a little bit colder, but Thanksgiving's right around the corner. That's one of my favorite times of the year, so it's all good. Oh, I'm sure it is. It's all good. At least we're not in Buffalo. Exactly. They're underneath a little bit of uh, snow right now. Looks like Just a they may, may or may not get in the uh, game on Sunday versus the New York Jets. I was... Uh, Texting back and forth to my buddy Coop, 
who lives up in uh, the Buffalo area. Every time I go up to see the Patriots play in Buffalo, I, I stay at his house, and, and he said it's uh, it's a state of emergency. It's a mess up there. So I'm sure it's coming to New England. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have a New England winter if it didn't. But let's move on and talk about this Patriots team because, Bobby, a couple weeks ago, going into the start of a unbelievable six-game stretch with the New England Patriots were going up against the Chicago Bears, followed by the Denver Broncos, and then the Indianapolis Colts, and then three tough games, two on the road with the Lions this week, next week against the Green Bay Packers, and then moving on to finish off the road trip against the San Diego Chargers. A lot of Patriots fans, myself included, looked and said three and three would be phenomenal. And here they are winning three of those games already. What are your thoughts on the current streak the Patriots are on? Oh, they've just been steamrolling teams. They're not only winning, they are dominating these games. Put up 51 against Chicago, 43 against Denver, 42 against Indianapolis most recently. So it's not just the fact that they're beating these quality opponents. It's how they're beating them and really just thoroughly dominating some of the best teams in the NFL. Oh, exactly. And Bobby, Bobby uh, Patrick and I on Sunday night's game, we talked about one stat that really stood out for us for the New England Patriots on Sunday against the uh, Indianapolis Colts. It's the fact that on third down, they were 9 of 12 in the game. The Indianapolis Colts had only allowed 18% of third down conversions at home in the Lucas Oil Dome or whatever they call that place now. Uh, uh, an indoor place where you play football. It sounds kind of <laughs> fruity to me, but... I just uh, I, I don't get how they did this. And let's not talk about – we can't talk about Jonas Gray. we got to talk about Jonas Gray. Had a phenomenal game, uh, reminiscent of what Le- Garrett Blount did last week uh, – not last week, but last year against the uh, Indianapolis Colts in the playoffs. Absolutely dominated. I guess that's the way to beat the Colts, huh? Go physical. Yeah, and Mr. Uh, Sports Illustrated, Mr. Stand-Up Comedic, Jonas Gray, he – the the major difference between what he did and what LeGarrette Blount did is that Jonas Gray made a lot more plays on his own. He's a very decisive running back, which you know Belichick loves. He's not going to play around. He just t- takes what's given to him. But there's plenty of times, including one of his touchdowns, where the protection wasn't that great, and he just trucks through the Colts' defense to get into the end zone. So there was plenty of times where he deserves just as much, if not more, of the credit than the offensive line. Oh, definitely. I mean, the offensive line, of course, has been clicking since uh, rookie Brian Stork has moved into the center position, flanked by both Conley and Wendell. But they opened some holes, but you've got to give some stuff to the third-year running back out of Notre Dame, who undrafted rookie free agent. Uh, he was on the Ravens practice squad. The Patriots had him on the practice squad. Anyone could have had him. And they changed the stat earlier this week. He actually had 201 yards on the ground, not the 199 on 37 carries. So Jonas Gray looked phenomenal. The offensive line looked pretty darn good. Um, Let me ask you this, though. Tom Brady in the second half was awesome, 11-13. But in the first half, two un-Brady-like interceptions. I'll give him a pass on the first one that was the deep ball to basically triple coverage to number 84, Brian Timms. Uh, He was hit as he threw, 
But the interception right before halftime, when he kind of lobbed it up to uh, Rob Gronkowski, not much mustard on that. Explain to me what your thoughts were on that throw. Oh, I think even Brady himself acknowledged that that was a terrible decision where it was third and like less than a foot. Just hand the ball off to Jonas Gray, who's been steamrolling the Colts defense, get the first down, move the chains, and look to put more points on the board. Instead, they check out, which was not a bad decision. I mean, certainly the smarter thing to do would just have been to hand the football off. But they did have Gronk on the outside in what was going to be single coverage. So it wasn't a bad decision to check out of the run. It was just that once uh, whoever it was for Indianapolis beat Sebastian Vollmer and got to Brady, he ends up getting hit and throwing a lollipop that gets picked off and sets up the Colts, who had no momentum up until that point. Now it looks like they might have some, you know, a bit of a game on their hands, the Patriots, because of that play. And so, of course, Belichick had to make the call to just take a knee once they got the ball back and go into halftime. Yeah, that was one of the things that we talked about on the Patriots postgame show. Patrick wanted them to go for the uh, go for the points, and I said, you know what, that was smart, situational football. The last thing you need to do, you're on the road, you're leading 14-10, to 10, you're getting the ball back to begin the second half. You know what, lick your wounds. I understand that they had two timeouts, 51 seconds, with an offense clicking the way it's been clicking. I know a lot of fans wanted the Patriots to go out and, and say, this is what we're doing. But I think it was a smart move by Bill Belichick and the offensive staff to just, as I said, lick the wounds, go in happy at 14-10. to 10. I think had they not been getting the second-half kickoff, I think you would have seen them go for uh, the points. But getting the second-half kickoff, you know what, you just sit there and say, we'll move forward. And the Patriots did move forward because they came out after halftime and marched right back down the field and scored a touchdown uh, to begin the uh, the third quarter. So things look pretty good for the Patriots, especially in the second half. Uh, they absolutely owned that game. I don't think there was one point in that game where I was actually worried. Oh, not at all. It was really most of Indianapolis's success came because of dumb plays by the Patriots, whether it was confusion in zone three coverage or whether it was the Brady interceptions most of it was more the Patriots doing than Indianapolis actually earning it yeah and you know I never like to sit there and say uh you know that a a team didn't play well and, and I like to give a credit to the to the other team but the the Colts just did not seem to match up well with the Patriots they it seemed like they were just done. I mean, absolutely stick a fork in them, done. They, I don't think that they can handle the big physical team. And with the Patriots, what they've been able to do this this year, I mean, uh, two weeks ago against the Broncos, uh, you know, they didn't do much on running the ball on the ground, and they went a little more finesse. This week against the Colts, they went ground and pound. So pretty exciting that they can – morph and, and and become the chameleon offense that we used to see in the past. Yeah, and Belichick wants this team to be a chameleon, period, matching up and scheming differently week to week where he's going to look at an opponent's strengths on their offense and take them away and make you win with secondary and third options. And then, you know, looking at the Patriots offense, 
He's going to attack your weakness. And for the Colts, that's their ability to stop the run. Not that good at it due to a frail line. And the Patriots just attacked it and hammered them throughout the game. Exactly. And, of course, as we said, Jonas Gray, 2000, uh, 200 yards rushing uh, on the ground uh, this past week. Uh, definitely one of the big-name uh, players that got picked up in probably 95% of the uh, fantasy football leagues out there, Jonas Gray. Um, I'm sure that uh, people are hoping for a repeat performance. However, going up this Sunday against the Detroit Lions, I'm not seeing Jonas Gray. If Jonas Gray gets 35, 40 yards, I'll be pretty impressed this week. That's a very good front. I think you're going to see the Patriots uh, lean more on uh, Shane Vereen uh, in this uh, in this game coming up. It's more of a of what they need to do against an endemic and Sue and 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 that defensive line. Uh, what are your thoughts going forward against? What is the best defense in football? Yeah, like you said, this is a stout defense, especially up front, led by Indomitian Sioux. They've surrendered the fewest rushing yards per game, 68.8. So I don't think the Patriots are going to hand off too much. It's probably more so going to be used to help establish the play action. I expect New England to try and spread Detroit out a lot of three wide receiver sets so you can get them in their sub-defense with just two linebackers. and. The big key is going to be how they handle Indomitian Sue because he is a force in the middle, and that is how you get to Tom Brady. Yeah, we've talked about it in the past. A-gap pressure against uh, you know Tom Brady is the way to stop them. We've seen it in the playoffs in the Super Bowl on the NASCAR package by the uh, uh, New York Giants started it all, that if you can get pressure up the middle with Brady, uh, it's pretty scary. And you have the rookie stork going up against Endomic and Sue, who, as you said, is a load, is a beast. He's really having uh, himself a heck of a season. What can they do? Do you think that they can, because we saw we saw in the, the preseason a couple of years ago how the Lions' offensive, uh, defensive line absolutely owned the Patriots' offensive line. What do you think the Patriots can do scheme-wise to help against Endomic and Sue? Well, you certainly like to be able to double-team him as much as possible or maybe leave a back in the backfield to, in case he gets through or have them come through the middle and just chip Sue as they come through the line. But I think ultimately what's going to have to happen is that whether it's Stork, whether it's Wendell or Connolly, because they do move Sue around, whoever's matched up against him in one-on-one -on -one situations – it's simply going to have to man up and be able to handle him. But part of the reason why I said earlier about the Patriots spreading out, going three wide receiver sets, is because with just two linebackers on the field for Detroit, it makes it easier to double-team Sue without having to worry as much about the possibility of a blitz. They could still bring one of those guys or bring a safety, like former Patriot James Ahedabo, but it becomes that much easier to find an open target to, for Tom Brady to find his hot reads when there's no one blitzing or just one guy's coming and Sue is being double teamed. Oh, exactly. And James Hedebo, former Patriots, having himself quite a good season already uh, for the Detroit Lions. And they have a great linebacker. You mentioned the linebacker, DeAndre Levy. Um, I mean, 96 combined tackles. Uh, that's pretty darn good, if you ask me. Um, but the way I look at it is this. 
is I expect a lot of shotgun formation for the Patriots here. And that's why I think you're going to see a lot of Shane Vereen because he has that dual threat. Uh, only got one carry on Sunday's game against the Indianapolis Colts. It came out of a shotgun in a draw. It went for 18 yards. So, I mean, that is what I'm thinking there. And he's a pretty good blitz pickup uh, type of player. So that's what I'm kind of hoping. They keep him in. Uh, and I'm hoping, and we haven't seen it in a long time now, but I'm hoping the return of the running back's screen game for the Patriots, I think that's a way that they can definitely neutralize a, the aggressive front four of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And Jeff, not that I expect it to happen, but this would be a great game to see a guy that you like, James White, run that pony formation that they had success with oh, in the preseason. Yeah. That would probably be effective against Detroit. But unfortunately, I don't expect to see it happen. I don't expect to see it happen either. And to be honest with you, I would love to see it happen because, listen, when it comes down to the Patriots, they what they dress for their, their 46 on, on Sunday, I mean, we've seen them dress Brian Timms and outside of – the uh, you know that 45 or 53 yard touchdown catch he had against Buffalo uh, in his first game back he's done absolutely nothing. Uh, of course, the interception that was thrown by Tom Brady was thrown to uh, Tim's and and earlier in the game, first pass of the game, Brady threw it to Tim's a ball that should have been caught and he didn't make the catch. So I I could see there where they just. It's got to be one of two things. Uh, the, the Brian Timms experiment is done for me. So in my opinion, you're either going to bring in Aaron Dobson, who's probably going to get 10 snaps, if that, as your fourth wide receiver, or you bring in a guy like James White and see if you can get a little more rotation in that running backfield. I, I would hope that they did that this week because they're going to need some receiving backs who can, who can chip and get out under the, into a pattern. Yeah, for me, Aaron Dobson, once again, being inactive, coming out of the bye week, tells me that his season might just continue on this pattern where it's more or less useless, really, large part thanks to how much of the offseason he missed with that foot injury. So Aaron Dobson might be a wait-till-next-year type scenario. As far as giving up on Tim's, he's very raw, and he's had a lot of mistakes, even on the one that he dropped at the beginning of the game. He didn't run a good route either. He could have been much more crisp, but I still think there's both potential there, and he does bring a deep threat on the outside that they just don't have. Gronk does draw attention downfield, but having to just stress the defense with a player like Tim's who has that speed and athleticism and can get the ball at its highest point, even if it's not effective, it's still something the defense has to scheme for and has to defend when he's on the field. Yeah, exactly. They do have to scheme for the over-the-top. And, and, and I still find it, and I might be the minority here, but I find it to be something that the Patriots really don't do well and don't really need in this offense is, you know, that over-the-top wide receiver. Would I like one? Who wouldn't like it? I mean, I think the most fun we ever had watching the New England Patriots was the 2007 season where Randy Moss was making a mockery of defensive backs and Brady could just put it up and Moss would go up and get it. 
I thought that's what we were getting in Aaron Dobson. Now, granted, I'm not going to give up on a kid after, uh, you know, uh, a decent first year and an injury-plagued uh, start to his second off season. But I think that's what the Patriots need going forward. However, this year, as we said, that chameleon offense, I think that they don't need that over-the-top threat, and I'd like to see them bring in a separate pass-catching running back or, or even giving Dobson, Dobson a chance. Yeah, I agree with you there. They don't need that deep threat at wide receiver, and maybe they would get more out of having Tims be inactive in favor of someone else, including the possibility of having both Dobson and Tims inactive in favor of someone at another position, like the guy we talked about, James White. But at the same time, it's just another option, just makes the Patriots offense that much more versatile, that much more dynamic, because even when the deep ball is not working with Tim's, the defense still has to prepare for it, and it could possibly set up other guys on the field when he's out there. Now let's harken back a little bit to the game against the Colts, because at one point after the game, we heard our, our favorite tight end, Rob Gronkowski, say he had to toss Sergio Brown out the club. And uh, we, we've seen what he did. He, he absolutely manhandled Sergio Brown. Brown fighting back a little bit on Twitter saying he couldn't do, and then he had the, the little poop um, emoticon between the, between the lines and during the whistle. Uh, look at the film. He only caught one pass against me and all this other stuff. You know what, Sergio? He might have only caught one pass against you, but he made you look like his bitch all afternoon your thoughts there yeah Sergio Brown is a scrub plain and simple he wasn't any good here he's not that good on the Colts he was originally a backup and really only got his shot to start at safety because Laurent Landry got suspended and doesn't seem to be a good fit or isn't ready yet to take over that role so Sergio Brown you're not a good player Chris Collinsworth earlier in the broadcast called him out for a play where he was lined up on Gronk and said that before Brady checked to something else, that Brown looked absolutely terrified to have to go up against Gronkowski. And, of course, we saw Gronk take him out the club, and that really just said all you need to about Sergio Brown. Yeah, and while Gronk he didn't have a phenomenal game, I mean, four catches, 71 yards, and one of the most memorable t- uh, touchdowns I can remember in a long time, some blocking, some great blocking that shows me that Rob Gronkowski is completely back, throwing his body around. Uh, you know, we all talked about uh, what he did, throwing him out of the club on that uh, touchdown run by Jonas Gray. But earlier in the game, on an end around to Julian Edelman, he they highlighted it on Sunday Night Football, where he absolutely owned, and I mean owned, the people that he was blocking. That's good going forward. If you got a healthy Gronk who not only can uh, block but catch and do all that thing. So big things there for Rob Gronkowski, and he absolutely is the way that this Patriots offense moves. Jeff, let me ask you, who do you consider to be the Patriots MVP between Gronk and Tom Brady? I'm going with Gronk. And, and as much as I love Tom Brady, and I think Tom Brady, and, and, I, and I got into this argument with, with Patrick, uh, because we all know Patrick Shankauer isn't the biggest Tom Brady fan, and and I always tell him it's because of his age, and and he didn't, and and I'm not trying to be biased here. I know you guys are uh, roughly the same age, but 
you seem to have a little more level head than than Patrick's. Patrick thinks that Tim Tebow is a good quarterback. <laughs> but <laughs> I look at it and I say, Tom Brady is the face of the New England Patriots. He's the best quarterback they've ever had, and and that's not by a slim margin. That's by the largest margin you're ever going to see. Uh, he is one of the uh, five to ten to five best quarterbacks of all time. Uh, you could even say he's he's in the top three with uh, what he's put together for a career. But getting into the later stages of his career, Rob Gronkowski makes this offense move. It doesn't matter if it's a run, a pass, a play-action pass. Rob Gronkowski is the Patriots MVP because of what he can do not only as a pass catcher or a blocker, but also as a decoy. The fact that the Patriots, when they're on offense, can line up Gronk out wide, where he is an absolute mismatch against a linebacker if they bring him out there, or a cornerback. We saw some a great back shoulder catch by him. We've seen him go down the seam, uh, where then the safeties have to go in and be worried about that. We've seen him steamroll guys. Uh, in the running game, we've seen him stay in to block and give uh, you know Tom Brady a little extra time. The entire offense runs through that tight end, and it's what they really were missing last year. And you know what? I'm going to say it right now. I think Gronk has been the most important Patriot on this team since about 2011. Yeah, for me, it's Gronk as well. And it's hard not to give it to a quarterback, except when it's Tim Tebow. But Gronk is the focal point of this offense and a huge part a huge part of why he's so important, why he's so crucial to this team, to this offense, is like you said, that even when he's not getting the ball, he commands so much attention that he makes it easier for his teammates, which is so important to a team that has Brandon LaFell and Julian Edelman. He helps to make them better players as well as Shane Vereen and anyone else involved in the passing attack and his ability to block. He's just so crucial to this offense. You've seen the success with and without him in the lineup last season. This year when he wasn't at 100% to him getting back to full strength, he might even be a better player now because he looks like he's playing smarter football. This is Pop Sosi, your play-by-play broadcaster for the New England Patriots, and you're listening to Patriots Beat. Bobby, let's move on now to the Detroit Lions because uh, – they're a pretty good team. I mean, we all know the names. Megatron, Calvin Johnson, of course, uh, former first-round draft pick uh, of the uh, Detroit Lions, and then uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, the first overall pick of the Lions a few years back after, I believe, they, uh, the 0-16 season. He's a 5,000-yard he's passer in his own right. And they have another guy who I'm really looking forward to watching on Sunday, and that's Golden Tate. Of course, Tate won the Super Bowl last year with the Seattle Seahawks, but he never really came into his own there. I mean, I guess it's just not the passing offense that Detroit has. Now with Calvin Johnson, uh, you know, being limited to only seven games this year, you have Golden Tate coming in and uh, has 975 yards receiving through 10 games. What's your thoughts on Golden Tate? Detroit desperately needed a compliment to Calvin Johnson and they got it in Golden Tate, who leads the team in receptions with 68. He makes big plays for them, whether it's catches downfield or 
He's so explosive with the ball in his hands that they'll run a lot of short stuff for him, including screen passes, and he'll just take off. So he's someone that the Patriots are going to have to contain and do a good job wrapping up. Exactly. Now, we, we each week on Patriots Beat, we talk about how the Patriots are going to defend a certain team, whether it'll be man, whether it'll be zone, who's Darrell Revis going to be locked up against. And, and Revis did a fine job moving over to covering Reggie Wayne last week. And I went back to the 2010 uh, Patriots versus Lions game uh, on Thanksgiving and where they, they pretty much held Calvin Johnson in check. Now, granted, uh, Matthew Stafford wasn't the quarterback that game. Uh, a, a little guy named Hill, who actually beat the Broncos for the Rams last week, Sean Hill, um, was the quarterback. But they eliminated Calvin Johnson a, a, a bit with some shaded coverage. They had both Kyle Harrington and Deb McCourty. That was McCourty's rookie year uh, when McCourty was playing cornerback. And, and they were using either Patrick Chung or uh, I'm trying to think who the other uh, safety was at the time, um, but they were able to really take him out of the game um, and limit things. And that's why I look at it, and I look at uh, what they're going to do against Calvin Johnson, and I think it's going to be a little bit of the same thing. I don't think you're going to see that matchup of Darrell Revis versus Megatron. I really think the Patriots' best bet is to put um, – Revis on Golden Tate and let the bigger physical Brandon Browner and a safety over the top, whether that be McCourty or Chung, go up against uh, Calvin Johnson. Tell me I'm out to lunch here. You know, I've gone back and forth between what I'd like to see, whether it's Browner or Revis. And you know what, Jeff? I want the heavyweight showdown. You signed Darrell Revis for these type of games, for these type of matchups. Let these two, him and Megatron, go toe-to-toe and see who wins. You know, I have no problem doing that. Once again, putting Browner on a tight end. I know that didn't work out great against Colby Fleener, but Detroit doesn't have a tight end as fast as Fleener. So I'm willing to do that again and then play Arrington on Golden Tate, just like they did T.Y. Hilton with help over the top and Devin McCourty playing in center field in case something does happen between Revis and Johnson that favors Detroit. So I, I want to see him go toe-to-toe against Megatron. And I can see what you're saying there about, you know, putting Brandon Browner on a tight end. And, of course, the tight ends that uh, the Detroit Lions have are our first-round pick in uh, Eric Ebron. He hasn't done much this season for Detroit. Uh, and then, of course, there's Brandon Pettigrew. Who, who's been hurt, and I don't know if he'll be playing on Sunday or not. And then this former uh, New England Patriots uh, tight end, Christian Fourier's nephew, Joseph Fourier, um, who plays for the, uh, for the uh, Detroit Lions, he had some interesting comments. I don't know if you heard his comments uh, when he was talking with uh, the MFB program on WEEI this week, uh, where Joseph said he tried to bribe Rob uh, Ninkovich to, uh, to let, let, uh, let Joseph get free on a couple things. And, and Joseph came out and said, uh, it's not going to be a bribe, and, and kind of called the Patriots soft. I I don't know. Maybe he hasn't been watching the film yet on what the Patriots have done these last six weeks, but I would definitely say that's not accurate. I mean, all you have to do is look at, I know it's the Patriots offense, but 
Gronk and what he just did to Sergio Brown, tossing him into the third row. And the Patriots' defense has proven to be physical, and that's proven to be why they're so effective because of their ability to take out receivers and throw off their timing by hitting them. Dante Hightower, Fourier, when you come across the middle, you should absolutely keep your head on a swivel because Hightower has been leveling people when they come into his territory. He sure has. He has had a phenomenal, phenomenal stretch here uh, ever since uh, after the Jets game. Again, we talked about it. Short week for the New England Patriots and their defense to come back after the Gerard Mayo injury. Uh, They were kind of gashed a little bit by the uh, New York Jets. The last couple games, though, uh, the Patriots' run defense has been phenomenal. And they're going up against a Detroit run running game that averages 3.2 yards per carry. Advantage Patriots. Oh, absolutely. And Joyke Bell is dealing with an ankle injury. He had a concussion earlier in the season. So you look at the fact that a running game that's only averaging 3.2 yards per carry is banged up. Reggie Bush is not an every down back, and he's more of a threat in the passing game than as a rusher. So to me... The Patriots, once again, are going to be able to play sub-defense, just uh, Hightower and Collins, and take away the run, prepare for the pass, and that's where it's going to get interesting. Oh, exactly. but not, And not to be the ball wash show here, but let's talk a little bit about the uh, Patriots' uh, dual linebackers here in Jamie Collins and in Dante Hightower and what they have been able to do. Jamie Collins, since coming back from that leg injury and being fully healthy, he's taken his game to another level. What are your thoughts on him? He really has. And, Jeff, I don't know how many weeks I was telling you, complaining about how slow he was to read and react to plays, to get off blocks. He was missing tackles. And all of a sudden, he just picked up his play and took it to a whole other level where he has become a stud for the Patriots and been vital to the team being able to play sub defense for most of the duration of these last few games where he's making plays against the run. He's been excellent in coverage, including last Sunday against Indianapolis and they don't use him that often, but they continue to talk about how effective he is as a blitzer. He got through a couple times to Peyton Manning to hurry him and put pressure and I think he even did it against Andrew Luck in the maybe one or two times that he did blitz. Yeah, it was funny because I'm not a huge fan of uh, of Chris Collinsworth. I think uh, you know he's a little bit of a, a talking head sometimes, but he did have one really good stat that I, or not really good stat, but saying what he what he said about Jamie Collins is the reluctance that they've had in blitzing him because of how good he's been in coverage. His sideline-to-sideline ability, now that he's fully healthy, has been amazing. I mean, he was able to stop uh, a couple of those short passes to Fleener and and to the running back out of the uh, backfield in Ahmad Bradshaw. I've been very impressed with his sideline-to-sideline agility. Yeah, he is someone who is extremely athletic. He played some safety during college. He was all over the field playing all different positions in all three levels. So his athleticism, like you said, whether it's sideline to sideline, whether it's running down the field with a tight end, he's someone who really does have the ability with his size, strength, and athleticism to do it all. 
Silva Salinga uh, came out and started practicing with the uh, New England Patriots this week. He was eligible last week to start practicing after he had been on the short-term IR, uh, of course, or designated to return IR, I guess is exactly what they call it. Um, he's been back out. He's practiced a little bit. The clock is ticking now. The Patriots have three weeks to either activate him or throw him on season-ending uh, injured reserve. My guess is he comes back, uh, and you have a very formidable uh, trio in, uh, in in Vince Wilfork, Alan Branch, and, of course, Silva Salinga to stuff the run. What are your thoughts on Silva coming back? Do you think we see him this week, or is this one of those times where you don't really have to worry about him? You hold him back, and you get him ready to come back against uh, the Green Bay Packers. Exactly. That's when I think he comes back. This week is more about getting him in as best game shape as possible, and with Detroit not posing too much of a threat in the run game, you wait until next week at Green Bay against Eddie Lacy. Exactly. I think uh, I think that's the key. And a lot of people don't talk about it against uh, the Green Bay Packers and not to get away from the Lions game, which is very important and a game that the Patriots, uh, hopefully they do, do not overlook because the Lions are a very talented team, especially on defense. But going forward against the Green Bay Packers uh, in two weeks, not a lot of people talk about that Green Bay running game, but the running game of Eddie Lacy really opens things up. So I think you are uh, right there that using a heavier front uh, with Salinga, with Branch, and with Wilfork, uh, that's a way to slow down the, the Packers. Bobby, I want to bring up another name. Uh, former New England Patriot Garrett Blount was released by the Steelers on Tuesday after walking out of uh, of the game because no carries and, and Ladavian Bell had uh, 200 plus yards uh, rushing. He was on fire. Uh, reports are that Blount left the left the field, took off his pads, went into the locker room, showered up, and went to the team bus. And now, just a mere couple days later, Legarrette Blount is a member of the New England Patriots once again. Bobby, what are your thoughts on the fact that Blount is back? I think it's a smart signing. For one thing, it keeps him away from your competition, teams like Denver and Indianapolis, who could use a boost at running back. And also, Jonas Gray is still an unproven commodity. He had a great game against an undersized Indianapolis front, where 32 of his 37 runs came with Cameron Fleming in the game as an extra blocker. So, still not sold on Gray just yet, although it certainly was a terrific game. So, Blount brings valuable depth to the position. Yeah, I'll agree with you there that he does bring some valuable depth. He's going to have something to prove as well because we know, I mean, he basically was a model citizen playing for the New England Patriots, uh, did a phenomenal job last year running for five yards per carry. And, you know, the reports were out there that the Patriots wanted to bring him back, but the money got too big for their their liking, just like it did uh, two years ago with Danny Woodhead. I like the signing. I really love the signing because it's a two-year deal at the veteran minimum, uh, you know, with incentives. So now we are going into the offseason with the Patriots having uh, Shane Vereen and Steven Ridley both as unrestricted free agents and to a lesser extent uh, Brandon Bolden as an unrestricted free agent. Now you have that big back in Blount. You have Jonas Gray who, as we said, he's looked pretty good in his uh, his time up with the New England Patriots. And you have basically a, a rookie in James White who is – redshirted 
I think that's a good thing uh, for the New England Patriots moving forward. And as we talked about with the uh, Patriots using uh, possibly the, the pony backfield, as we talked about, now you have two backs that are big and can lumber in the cold weather. Yeah, that is certainly going to prove to be valuable as this cold weather picks up and intensifies and we get into the playoffs where teams that are able to successfully run the football, especially in short yarded situations to extend drives are the teams that usually have success and ultimately go on to win Super Bowls. So the Patriots now having two big backs between Gray and Blount seems like it's certainly going to bode well. Of course, they got rid of uh, uh, Casey Walker to uh, to make room for uh, LeGarrette Blount, and that basically weakens your defensive uh, tackle position. But then again, ever since Allen Branch signed, Walker has been a little bit of the odd man out, and uh, with Silva Salinger coming back, that's not too bad. So looking forward to seeing LeGarrette Blount back on this team Bobby, uh, last thing on Blount here, do you think we'll see much of him this week against the uh, Detroit Lions? We already talked about how good their front four is. Yeah, so that's why I'd be surprised. He's certainly familiar with the playbook and should be in relatively good condition given that he's been on a team. He's not coming in off the street, but it's not a game that really calls for a heavy amount of running, and he is just getting here. So I expect to see Blount be more of a factor next week against Green Bay as opposed to Sunday against Detroit. Uh, let's keep the subject on running backs. As you know, it's one of my favorite things. But, I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but how about the uh, the fact that um, uh, Tate from uh, Cleveland was released by the Cleveland Browns and now has been uh, did not clear waivers. He was picked up by the Minnesota Vikings. Where did things go wrong for him in the Cleveland Browns? I think it's where it went wrong with him in the Houston Texans, his inability to stay on the field. He's an injury-prone running back, and that took away his snaps in Cleveland. Other guys emerged, and as a result, he found himself on the outs. Yeah, so uh, now Ben Tate, of course, another guy who you know, open his mouth and, and, and finds himself going, complained about his usage in Cleveland and is out with his walking papers, or I shouldn't say walking papers because he is now on the Minnesota Vikings. And that brings me to another uh, Vikings running back, and that, of course, is Adrian Peterson. Uh, of course, he was suspended before the Week 2 game against the New England Patriots uh, for the child abuse case against his son, of course, hitting his four-year-old son, which is just absolutely despicable. Um, he was suspended by Roger Goodell for the rest of the season on Tuesday. The NFLPA came out and said that they were going to make an appeal. And in the quickest appeals process I can <laughs> ever remember in my entire life, the arbitrator comes out Tuesday night and upholds the the uh, ruling of Roger Goodell, and he's suspended for the rest of the season. Two-part question here, Bobby. One, has he played his last game in Minnesota? And two, what team is going to bring Adrian Peterson in with all of this baggage? Yeah, maybe Peterson should have hired the same attorneys as Jim Ursay because that one took a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, As far as him being in Minnesota, I think that's over. I can't see them bringing him back, especially now claiming – Ben Tate on waivers. As far as another team picking him up, I'm not sure whether or not that will happen, especially when you go against the league as a whole. The owners tend to get together and blackball you. 
That's why I don't think Ray Rice is coming back. But if anyone is willing to roll the dice on him, I could see Jerry Jones doing it. I know he's got DeMarco Murray, but he wanted to Murray's have, contract's up, though. Yeah, and he wanted to have and, Johnny Manziel. I mean, no one likes marketing and uh, attention more than Jerry Jones, so I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule it out either, especially with the fact that there's been some talk. Of course, the Dallas Cowboys have two very good players coming up at the end of the season for free agency, one, of course, being DeMarco Murray and the other one being Des Bryant. There's already been reports out there that they uh, would franchise Des Bryant, so that would put uh, DeMarco Murray out on the uh, out on the streets as a free agent. Boy, would I love the New England Patriots to sign him. I think I've told you in the past that I wanted him drafted uh, when he was coming out. Of course, that was the same year that they drafted uh, Shane Vereen and then uh, shortly after Stephen Ridley. Uh, but yeah, you could see uh, Jerry Jones making a play for him, possibly. Uh, but that goes to show you that if you have talent, you're going to be brought back. And we saw it with Michael Vick. Uh, he was given a second chance after uh, his issue with uh, with, with the uh, dog fighting. Um, but Michael Vick still had talent. I think when you look at Ray Rice, I don't. I think Ray Rice is completely done. You know. Uh, Playing wise, I just don't think he has it anymore. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens moving forward. Bobby, before we get back into the uh, into the talking about the Detroit Lions, uh, let's take a look around the NFL and and what is shaping up now after 11 weeks of the season. Um, some pretty interesting uh, things out there as far as. Where everything stands, because the New England Patriots right now are 8-2. and two. They're the best team in the AFC. They've got a two-game lead in the division over the Miami Dolphins. Um, Denver and the Kansas City Chiefs both tied at 7-3 and three atop the AFC West. That's something that's going to bear watching, because, of course, the Patriots have the, uh, the game in hand over Denver, but the Kansas City Chiefs, of course, were the last Patriots loss moving forward, going uh, going towards seeing what's going to happen for home field advantage. That uh, that AFC West looks like a pretty good division, of course, with the uh, San Diego Chargers at six and four, and then the lowly Raiders at zero and ten. AFC North, what team is going to come out of there? Uh, every team with a winning record. Cincinnati Bengals right now stand at top at six three and one. Uh, not much out of the AFC South. We saw the Indianapolis Colts. That's a weak division. But looking at the AFC as a whole, uh, and especially at the AFC West and the AFC North, what are your thoughts on what's transpiring right now through 11 weeks? I still think it's New England, Denver, and everyone else. Now, if Kansas City wins that division, all of a sudden they become a lot tougher to stop, especially if they match up with the Patriots, we saw what happened on Monday Night Football. And for as far as the Patriots have come, one thing they have not proven yet is their ability to stop a team that prefers running the football. So with the combination of Jamal Charles and Niles Davis in Kansas City, Arrowhead Stadium, you know what that's going to be like come playoff time should they get in. So that is a lot of elements that the Patriots would not not you know it's not ideal let's put it that way 
Whoever thought we would be sitting there rooting for the Denver Broncos to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in two weeks? Seriously, it is. It's a head scratcher how quickly things change. It really is. This season has been unbelievable. Let's look at that AFC North because I, I look at it and. Last week, the Cleveland Browns were the darlings of the NFL. They they sat at six and three. Uh, you know they were on top of the AFC East. Uh, sorry, AFC uh, North. And then you turn around, and a mere three hours later, and a loss to the Houston Texans. They're now in the basement at six and four. And, and the Cincinnati Bengals, who started out uh, three and zero, oh, are now three three and one in their last seven games, are on top. Pittsburgh at seven and four, and Baltimore at six and four. I'm looking at that division, and the team that still scares me, and they not really scares me, but the team that I think has the best chance to win that division uh, is the team that really, uh, you know, has everything it takes, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I would say they're the best team in the division. And listen, if Cincinnati had a different coach and quarterback then it probably would be them. But I do think Pittsburgh has the most talent in that division. The only problem is they're a completely different team when they go on the road. You look at having to scrap against the Tennessee Titans, who have not been impressive this year, to say the least. They lose to the Jets. All they had to do really was show up and not turn the ball over, and they couldn't (laughs) manage that. So to me, Pittsburgh, who is probably going to have to play on the road at one point in the playoffs, is not as much of a concern. Yeah, and I look at Pittsburgh, and I I do believe they will win that division. Uh, But Brady and Belichick always have a very good plan against that Pittsburgh Steelers uh, defense run by Dick LeBeau. They exploit it, and they exploit three, four defenses uh, pretty well over the last uh, five to seven years. So switching things to the uh, to the NFC, is there a bigger surprise in the NFL than the Arizona Cardinals sitting at 9-1 and one with a three-game lead over the last two NFC uh, representatives in the Super Bowl in the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks? Are the Arizona Cardinals for real, and can they go far with Drew Stanton as their quarterback. You know, when Carson Palmer first went down, I, like many, thought this team is done. But then you started to look at how they're set up, and they might just be okay with Drew Stanton. They've got a very good defense, especially against the run. They've got Patrick Peterson in the secondary, and then offensively, I know he just got hurt, so we'll see how he looks going forward, but they still have Larry Fitzgerald. They've got Michael Floyd. They've got John Brown. They've got options in the passing game. Their running game isn't that effective. But this is still, even without Carson Palmer, a very good team. So I certainly think they're legitimate. We'll have to see what happens come playoff time because I do still expect Seattle to figure things out. And we'll see what happens with San Francisco should they get Navarro Bowman back now that Alden Smith is once again in the fold. And the next big surprise sitting at the NFC is the fact that the Atlanta Falcons at 4-6 and six are leading the NFC South. Let me ask you this right now, because a couple of years ago uh, in the NFC West, we saw the Seattle Seahawks finish at 7-9, and nine, get a home game against the New Orleans Saints, and basically were able to get to the second round of the playoffs because of the home field advantage that the 12th man brings. 
you're sitting here with the Atlanta Falcons who don't impress anyone, the Carolina Panthers who don't impress anyone, and the New Orleans Saints who absolutely underachieve, uh, just all being horrible. We could really see another seven and nine team, or maybe even a six and ten team, winning a division. Let's talk about this right now. Is it time for the NFL to change things up and maybe go with uh, with two conferences with two divisions each, and basically having eight divisions on a, on a west and a, or eight teams on a west, eight teams on the east, the two champions getting the bye, and then the next best four teams. Uh, going in and, and getting their uh, their playoff spots. Yeah, I would love to see them adopt the NBA playoff system where regardless of division, the best eight teams from each conference get in. The problem with that is that your divisions then mean absolutely nothing. You know, there's little importance there. So the NFL loses some of its uh, rel- relativeness in the regular season with that, especially because their Thursday night games are all division rival matchups. So now you take what's on the line outside of pride away from the equation. But another proposal that I've heard from Greg Bedard that was intriguing was if they are going to add another playoff team, why not make it two more, which makes the regular season that much more exciting with more teams in the race. And you can still give the first round by to the top two teams in each conference. You know, I read that as well, and it was one thing that I wrote in the off season um, when they were talking about expanding the playoffs, possibly. And I went back to the 2002 season um, when the uh, when the NFL adopted 32 teams and the current uh, format that they uh, that they have sitting out here, uh, with of course four division winners um, and going from you know that there. And I don't like the fact of having extra playoff teams uh, right now you know the uh, the NFL I think is regular season means more than anyone's regular season except maybe baseballs because baseball of course only has the uh, the five or six teams or however many teams they have five teams making the uh, the playoffs now I just I don't like that proposal where you're adding more teams I think it, it, it basically, I mean, here's basically where it runs. And not to really run through the whole thing, but in, in t- if you added a seventh playoff team, in 2002 you have two teams with nine wins. All right, you're fine there. 2003 you have a ten-win team and a nine-win team. 2004 a nine-win team and an eight-win team. An eight-win team, an eight-and-eight team should not no. make the playoffs at all. It's more often than not when you, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole list, uh, but the, the, the only time that I really see it um, benefiting were 2008 when the New England Patriots went 11-5 and, 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 and missed the playoffs. But then again, they missed the playoffs because of tiebreakers, because they could not beat very good teams. Um, and then last year, the Arizona Cardinals, who of course went 10 and 6, and were probably one of the hotter teams in the second half of the season, losing out because of tiebreakers. I think one of the things that uh, that the NFL really, and we can talk about this in the off season more, um, is I like the fact, and I know you said it, it, the division play would kind of be meaningless, but I still think you could have two divisions of eight teams, um, and, and and so basically you'd have eight teams fighting out for for a bye uh, if they win their division. I think it would make it 
that much more enjoyable for the NFL. But listen, you and neither you or I are Roger Goodell, so I, I, I guess we're not going to see uh, where that goes. Uh, just a quick uh, finish up on the NFC. Uh, you have both the Dallas Cowboys and the uh, Philadelphia Eagles sitting at 7-3. and three. Uh, I think the Eagles are absolutely done now with uh, with Mark Sanchez as their uh, as their quarterback. Yeah, I think that they're in trouble. I still expect Dallas to be classic Cowboys as the season <laughs> wanes on. So we'll have to see. That's kind of anyone's race and see who craps their pants less as we get closer to the playoffs. Exactly. Now, that leads us to the NFC North. Of course, the Patriots are playing the NFC North this year. Uh, They've already played two teams, and they're the bottom two teams, sitting at the Minnesota Vikings and the Chicago Bears. Both sit at four and six. Uh, They're about to go up against the medal of the NFC North in the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. Um, talk a little bit about the Packers, and then we'll finish things out with what we think is going to happen with the Detroit Lions this week. Green Bay, to me, Aaron Rodgers has probably been the best quarterback in the NFL this season, and probably over the past few seasons. He's mobile, great arm. He can make all the throws. So it starts with him. They were slow out of the gates, but have really turned it on since. The Patriots are going to have to be able to take away Jordy Nelson. Luckily, he does most of his damage downfield, and that's what the Patriots are best at preventing. And like we talked about earlier with Eddie Lacy, they haven't faced, you know, since turning things around at least, because they played Kansas City when they were going through that first month struggle. But since then, have not really played a team that likes to run the ball as much as Green Bay does and has that big power back in Eddie Lacy. So stopping him while staying in sub-defense to help contain Jordy Nelson is going to be a challenge for New England, and we'll see next week if they're able to handle that. Oh, definitely. All right, so here we go, Bobby. We're going up against the Detroit Lions. We've talked a little bit about both Calvin Johnson and uh, and Golden Tate. We've talked about Matthew Stafford. We've talked about the uh, the defensive line of the New England Patriots. I went first last week. You go first this week. Your thoughts on this game coming up on Sunday and your offensive and defensive players of the game or exactly players to watch? For offensive player of the game, I'm going to go with the interior of the line and their ability to contain Indomitian Ooh, like And defensively, I'm going to give my player of the game award, if you want to call it that at least, to Darrell Revis because – whether he's guarding Megatron or not, his ability to take away one side of the field is going to be crucial in this game because even if he's on Golden Tate, it's going to allow the Patriots to double-team Brandon Browner, but only if he's effective on whoever he does go up against, and I think he will be, so I'm giving that to Revis. All right, and your thoughts on who wins the game in a score, my friend? Who wins the game? I'm going with the Patriots and this high-potent offense. As good as Detroit's defense has been, They're a completely different team on the road. I don't know if they've really been tested just yet either. So I think this Patriots machine continues to notch something in the 40s. I'm going to say 42 points again and that they hold Detroit in the 20s. I'm going to say 42 to 24. Bold prediction there, 42 to 24. Listen, this this Lions team uh, is – it's very, very good defensively. 
number one in the league uh, as, as far as points per game, giving up 15.6. Of course, the New England Patriots are now scoring 32.3. So something has got to give here. I'm going with the New England Patriots here. I'm going with them scoring 35 points. And I'm looking at the Detroit Lions and their offense. And it's based on those two wide receivers that we talked about earlier today in Megatron and, of course, in uh, Golden Tate. I really think the Patriots can limit them and at least take away their their best player. And, and of course, that's probably Calvin Johnson. I think they'll scheme it to take away and they say, all right, Detroit, try to beat us on the run. So I'm actually going to sit here and it's going to make our friend Patrick Shankauer smile. <laughs> But I think Dev McCourty is going to play a very huge role in this game because, as I said to start off uh, earlier in the program here, I expect Darrell Revis to line up more on Golden Tate than Calvin Johnson. I expect them to roll uh, a double team towards Calvin Johnson's uh, side. I know it's not going to make Patriots Nation happy. Uh, because of the fact that they want to see the heavyweight bout, as you called it earlier today. But I think you're going to see a little bit more of uh, Darrell Rivas on Golden Tate. On offense, I've been calling for it all year long. Uh, I called for it in the offseason. It is Shane Vereen's time to shine. I really think Shane Vereen is going to have a phenomenal game for the New England Patriots. Uh, I think this is the time where you're going to see him get 12 to 15 carries, and and probably another five to six receptions. I think that's the way that you attack this uh, this Detroit Lions uh, line is by using a more shifty uh, back in 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 Shane Vereen. We saw what happened uh, last week with uh, Ellington for Arizona. They were able to uh, exploit a little bit of their uh, their defense with Ellington. So I'm looking at Shane Vereen as my offensive player of the year. Uh, player of the game, not of the year. Yeah, that was about to get a little bolder than I expected. Vereen's definitely yeah. a good pick, though, because Levy figures to draw Gronk, and so Vereen could have a big game going up against another Detroit linebacker. We'll see what happens moving forward. Well, thank you very much for listening to Patriots Beat, and of course, thank you to, for everyone who entered into the CLNS radio and uh, at Pat's Gazette. Uh, Patriots ticket giveaway. Uh, we announced the winner on uh, Sunday night's postgame show, and that was at Pat Superfan, Bill Ford. Congratulations to Bill. He'll be going to a New England Patriots versus Miami Dolphins game on uh, on the 14th of December. That should be a very good game to go see. Uh, we are giving away the tickets, so uh, tickets have been bought and I believe sent to Bill, so uh, congratulations, Bill, on winning that uh, that contest, and look forward to our newest contest, uh, which will be coming out shortly. Again, this is Patriots Beat. You can always listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher by going to www.clnsradio.com slash patsbeat iTunes or www.clnsradio.com slash patsbeat beat iTunes and of course download the mobile app on CLNS Radio by going to the uh, the Google Play Store or the iP- uh, iPhone App Store by you can also go and go to www.clnsradio.com slash iOS free at www.clnsradio.com slash Android 
We'll see you after Sunday's game as Patrick Shankow and I will break down all things that happen against the Detroit Lions. Hopefully we'll be talking about a New England Patriots seventh win in a row, and we can start looking forward to the second half of the season. The Patriots always play really well after Thanksgiving. For Bobby Kravitsky, I'm Jeff Kane, and this is Patriots Meeting. We'll talk to you guys soon. Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.